We're back. This is the Bliss Man Podcast, Gakua Radio. We go way, way, way beyond what's just my people stay in the building. Oh, man. Fired up. Oh, man. So the word is, working out the contract, he's doing the negotiations as we speak. I got the agents talking. The lawyers are everywhere. You know, they, they, they're shutting up the pens. They're getting the grammar right. I think AJ is coming back. I think, I think, I think it's possible. So, Jay, man. The real show is coming back. The real Blitzmack podcast is coming back. You know what I'm saying? Start a show. All right. This is Blitzmack Press. You can catch him on Twitter. Yo, so I'm going to be real with everybody. I, I, I don't have a show prepared. I'm sloppy today, but I'm going to talk about what I know in sports. It's a, it's a couple things that's going on about, right about now, so I'm going to try to tap on them as quickly as I can. Super Bowl. Last week, the big game. As they wanna, as they wanna call it now, they don't wanna, they don't wanna say Super Bowl, but uh, Super Bowl Fifty Two in Miami this week was a great, was 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 a great game. I, I, I'm gonna keep it real. I thought it was a very, very good game. I thought it was a very competitive game between two teams that were pretty much equally matched, and I thought the Chiefs started out the way I thought the Chiefs. Like people, I thought the Chiefs started out the way I thought the Chiefs would start out, which was fast, explosive. You know, balanced, and you know it took the 49ers some time to adjust to to, to the speed uh, of the Chiefs, and that's why. See, when people talk about the totality of the game, and they and they mention uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, I actually thought Mahomes started off pretty good. I thought the balance of the offense in the first in the first quarter in the first quarter and a half for the Chiefs was fairly good. <coughs> you know, and San Fran, it just took them some time to adjust to the speed. But once they did adjust, and once they did get an understanding of what the Chiefs were trying to do, and how they were trying to manipulate their offense, and you know, and put their uh, and find the one-on-one matchups in the secondary, or just play the uh, um, the play-action game where they can uh, uh, play action and find Kelsey down on the seams or in or excuse me like down the seams or, or on the sidelines or you know just finding Tyreek Hill Hill in space. It just took the, the Niners about a quarter and a half to get it to get adjusted to that. And credit to them. They did. And then the, the 49ers got back into doing what they like doing, which is running the football and being physical and putting pressure on the quarterback. To, to me, it made zero sense for the 49ers to stop running the ball with with Mozart and Coleman. You know, Mozart is one of the more unique stories of the NFL. Kind of like bounced around for a while. He even was an eagle for a second. And, you know, as I said before, and Raheem Mozart was sometimes guys peak late. And it just seems like his body is at the point at, at the age of 27 where it's just peaking. And you know when you when, when you have a runner like that, it's okay to ride him. When you have someone like like Tevin Coleman who can make explosive plays, you got to keep going with that. And I think the Chiefs got away from what they were. They for some reason once they got up twenty to ten, they forgot that they were a running football team. They they forgot that they were a running football team. So as I said, so let's so let's recap a bit. Uh, 
Chiefs started off fast, scored a touch, a touch, a touchdown on, on their second possession. 49ers came right back and they got three. Chiefs came right back and got uh and got three as well. And then the and then the 49ers at the end of the half scored a touchdown. So that so then now it's 10-10 going to the half. And that's how you want it. Like you want it where you see the two best teams in the league going at it. And, you know, both pretty much playing the kind of game that they want. Like the 49ers played their game in the second quarter. The Chiefs played their game in, in, in the first quarter. And you just want to see how everything was going to play out. And then the 49ers, that defensive line, took over the game in the third quarter. Mahomes was just shaky, and, 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 and like in the pocket. I think he had something like five straight incompletions. So he might have more. And he was just, he looked terrible. Like, he just lost his confidence because he really couldn't get a gauge of the San Francisco pass rush. And they just started dominating the game. And the Chiefs just couldn't get into the groove. And then San Fran, to their credit, do what they did, and they start running the ball down the field. So in the fourth quarter, running the ball down the field. So let me, before I jump, jump to the fourth quarter, they extended their lead 20 to 10. Okay, so they extended the lead 20 to 10. But going into the fourth quarter, San Fran was still pretty much controlling the ball game. And then the Chiefs shut them. I think they stopped them on a a third, on a third and 10, somewhere in midfield. And Mahomes make the adjustment at the line of scrimmage. To get Tyreek Hill the ball, because I was watching doing the watching game, I said, we, they have to get Tyreek the ball in space. It was when I was watching the game, I saw a lot of slant routes to Tyreek Hill, where really he needs to be exploiting his speed down the field. Well, anyway, in the fourth quarter, with about eight minutes to go in the game, Pat Mahomes not even threw, didn't even throw a great pass, but he threw the pass that he need, needed to make. He got the ball to Tyreek Hill between three defenders. And that kind of like changed the balance of the ball game. Because at that point right there, Mahomes caught his groove. <coughs> Excuse me. So at that point in time, Mahomes caught his groove. And think about this. The Chiefs have been down in every playoff game so far. Every playoff game. Every playoff game. I mean, so much so against the Texans, they were down 24 points. Still came back and dominated the game. So this is sort of like what Mahomes does. Mahomes... What makes Mahomes so special, he has the same quality that the Golden State Warriors had. When even if you're up by 15, in a minute you can be down by 15. That's how fast they can shoot the three. This is how fast Mahomes can put touchdowns on the board. And with and just like that, within within six minutes, within within six minutes of play, Mahomes drove the team down twice for two touchdowns score was I'm sorry uh, uh, score was 24 to 20 now San Fran seems to be panicking but you know what there's still three minutes to go in the game there's still enough time to play football you don't have to panic you have all your timeouts. do what you do but they were content on putting the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. They were content on trying to win the game that way when 
all they had to do was keep doing what they did. And you know what? This situation regarding Sam Fran is very typical of Kyle Shanahan, their head coach. Just a few years ago, remember, he was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta uh, Falcons, and they were up, what, 28-3. to And guess what, what they had? The number one running game in the NFL. And guess what they didn't do when they were up 28-3? to Run the football. Again, we have the same situation here with Kyle Shanahan being the best running offensive coordinator in the NFL, you know, having the best offense in the league based on the fact that you can run the ball better than anyone in the league, and now you put the ball in your quarterback's hands. And I understand it, man. I I, I get it because it's ego. It's ego. Because it's disrespectful the way the Chiefs are saying, you know what, we're going to set out on the run. We're going to force our quarterback, we're going to force their quarterback to make plays. We're going to make, we're going to make sure that, that they're not going to run the ball on us. So instead of San Fran trying to meet the challenge of saying, we don't care what you do, we run the football, we're up by 10. All we got to do is run this ball down your throat and close this game out, and that's what we're going to do. No, instead, when they see nine men in the box, they say, you know what, we got to throw it. They just baited them into throwing the football that that played right into the Chiefs' hands because the bottom line is, Gravapolo, while the 49ers believe in him, he hasn't proven to be the most clutch quarterback. I mean, listen, he has been clutch. I take that back. He has a strong winning percentage in the fourth fourth quarter. He does have, have a strong, but you just knew in, in that type of environment, it's not the strength of the team. It's just not the strength of the team. Gravapolo is just not the strength of the team. And it's not really a knock on him because they're a Super Bowl team. I guess if they would have built the team around Gravapolo, I mean, they did in the sense that they they formed themselves into the best running team in the NFL. So if, if, if that's what you have done and that's what gotten you there, you got to play to your strengths. And Kyle Shanahan, once again, in the Super Bowl, the biggest game of the year, start doing something that, he's, that he doesn't have to do. All he had to do was do what he does best. Run the football. Indeed, smart people in the building. That's my man, EA. So, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, like, San Fran deserved to lose the game. And then, the Chiefs cannot thank the services of Damian Williams enough because, really, he actually kept them in the game. And if they would have kept... See, the reason why... All right, so let's let's I always like to backtrack because I'm, my mind is all over the place. So when the Chiefs lost their their composure during the course of the game, and Mahomes wasn't playing as well, it's because they lost their offensive rhythm. They didn't have the rhythm in their offense because they stopped running the football in the first. In that second drive, in those second, third drives that the Chiefs had, and they looked so impressive, they had a good mix. They had a nice flow. And 
people always try to downplay the running game and they big up the quarterbacks. And Mahomes is amazing. He made the plays that the, that the Chiefs, but it's the offensive balance that allows the quarterback to do the things that they do. And you got to give credit to the running back. And in this case, Damian Williams, not only did he have uh, the, the ice-breaking touchdown at the end of the game, but he also had the game-winning touchdown when he just passed the pylon. And some people say that his foot was out when he crossed the goal line on, on a third, or I think that was a third and six, or a third and goal. So imagine if you have to, if you had you know fourth and an inch at that point of the game. I'm just saying, like Damian Williams made possibly the biggest play of the game. However, I still believe. I want to believe that Damon Williams. This was a game where it wouldn't have, it would have been okay for Cole and BPs because Williams was consistent throughout the course of the game, and then he with Mahomes had the biggest moments in the game. They made the biggest play in the game with that with that game scoring touchdown to take the score to twenty one. I mean twenty four. Uh, 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 to 24-20 when they took the lead when Damon went just stretched his just got the ball over before he stepped out of bounds and then Mahomes with Mahomes he made the clutch throws but it was Williams at the end of the game who made the icing on the cake touchdown run I believe for 30 something yards for 38 yards so this was a situation in my humble opinion where we could have had co MVPs but nevertheless um, Mahomes, in my opinion, I thought overall he played a very, very solid game. I would give him a B plus in this game, if not an A minus. I mean, the Super Bowl is a big game. And think about this: at, at the age of 24, he's already won an MVP and a Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP. That's a lot of MVPs. He he won three MVP. He won two MVPs and a Super Bowl in three years, and he's only been playing quarterback for two. You know what I'm saying? Now, hindsight of this, at the age of 23, Joe Burrow just won the Heisman. But this, think about this for a second. Joe Burrow won the Heisman. He's the best prospect in the the NFL draft. But at the age of 24, just one year older, you have Patrick Mahomes, who's won a league MVP, a Super Bowl, and a Super Bowl MVP. That's the difference. All right, so when we talked about Mahomes and I've just broke down all those MVPs. Let's also talk about the just the evolution of, of the black quarterback in the NFL because this is the first year in at any time where a black quarterback won rookie of the year in Kyler Murray, salute to him, where a black quarterback won the MVP of the league in Lamar Jackson, salute to him, and when a black quarterback again in Patrick Mahomes won a Super Bowl and Super Bowl MVP. That is complete domination of the quarterback position. You have the best young quarterback in the NFL, you have the most dynamic quarterback in the NFL with the MVP, and you have the most proficient and maybe the best quarterback in the NFL in Mahomes. Is there any quarterback in the league right now better than Pat Pat Mahomes? I mean, he's clearly the best, the best quarterback in the league. I'm just saying, it's like this, the NFL is starting to change. I always say this, I'm, I, I've been preaching this now for a while, but the but 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 the league is 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 rapidly 
changing. And when you get two in there and Hurts is coming and Jordan Love, these three guys next year, they could all be starting quarterback next year. All three. Don't think Jalen Hurts is not going to jump on a team and take a job. Don't let him go to, like, to the Raiders and, and, and take Carr's job. That's what's going to happen. Smart people in the building. All right, so I just want you to understand, like, the evolution. So you got to understand how the NFL is going to be able to handle – this dynamic of pretty much a game that's going to be dominated by black faces. You know what I mean? You may have a few, like, put it like this, like, Luka Doncic is a great player, but he's dominated around black players in the All-Star game. So let's imagine if 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 the NFL is going in, in that same route because there are more black quarterbacks. And that's pretty much the representation of the league. So how can the league manifest itself and still reach out to their fan base or to a large portion of their fan base if if they're not going to have their golden boy representative. Well, the way you do that is you use the athlete as a pawn to disseminate the messages of white supremacy and nationalism through like through sport. And that's what Fox Sports did this week when they when they interviewed Com 45 before the Super Bowl mixing sports and politics talking lies on the backs of black men men who who he does not represent so and but this is a way for the NFL to tell the people who they believe they have to you know uh, ingratiate themselves 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 to to say hey listen we understand it's a black revolution going on in the NFL. We understand that. We understand there's all these brothers is playing quarterback and stuff. We get it. But we want you to we want you to know that we got everything under control. If they get out of line, you see what we did to that black boy who got on the line. We kicked him out of the league. We're gonna keep these boys in line. <clears throat> so just to just to prove it to you, we're gonna have our leader talk about you know his vision for the country during the biggest game of the year and we're going to support that because you know you know that you know the NFL of all the other sports leagues are, are are the largest endorsers to the White House donation you know donations you know from you know Robert Kraft and you know the uh the guy from Jacksonville with Khan <clears throat> you know those guys, you know, you know Jim Ursay and those guys. You know, you know Woody from like the Jets. So all these, so you understand the messages that they have to disseminate. They have to explain to their fan base that all is going to be well. Like Patrick Mahomes. If you notice during the whole entire Super Bowl, there was very little talk about Mahomes being a black quarterback. Very little. You know what I'm saying? You know, you you rarely even mentioned that it was even, you know, necessary to talk about, which is, I guess, to some extent, you would say is right. But, what if he would have lost? If he would have lost, I'm pretty sure some of these narratives would have popped up. I hate now I sound like I'm face baiting. I feel bad about that. Let me take that back. It's good that they didn't say that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's, it's good. 
That means we're, we're progressing. Everything don't got to be about black and white. I can admit my faults right on the air in real time. But Mahomes is still a black quarterback, all right? Just want to let y'all to know. Even you mean you have to mention it, it's good to let everybody know that Mahomes is still a black quarterback. All right. The biggest element of this game isn't Patrick Mahomes or the fact that Kyle Shanahan blew it. It's the fact that Andy Reid won a Super Bowl after 21 years of coaching. Imagine doing something for 21 years, working for a corporation, and every time you get, or you put in a job for, for, for vice president, you get turned down. You, you put in a job for, the, for like the new president's job, you get turned down. Like, damn, I've been working my ass off in this company, and I can't get nowhere. Well, yesterday, well, last Sunday, he became president, man. He won the Super Bowl. Like, he finally broke through. And, and it feels good because Andy is an OG. And let me talk about Andy Reid because while I'm talking about the black quarterback, let's say this for a second. Andy Reid went out on a limb when everybody thought McNabb was going to be a second-round pick. It was, it was the Eagles and Andy Reid who told everybody that he was our guy and drafted Donovan McNabb. Number two, overall, when nobody in the world wanted nothing to do with Michael Vick, Andy Reid got him, made my MVP. And now he takes Patrick Mahomes at the tender age of 24 and converts him into a Super Bowl champion. Like, think about that. I mean, Andy Reid has been almost like the godfather to the black quarterback in the NFL. I mean, in, in every in every quarterback and every black quarterback that he's had has had MVP success. McNabb's won an MVP with Reid. I think Vic won an MVP with Reid. And Mahomes has won an MVP with Reid. And now Mahomes has won an MVP and a Super Bowl. And with, the, and with those Michael Vick squads, we all thought we was going to a Super Bowl for a second, right? But just what I'm saying, like, Reed has put in the work. You know what I mean? He, he was, a, you know, he won. This is technically, if you want to be technical, this is his second Super Bowl win. He won one with the Packers um, as, a, as an assistant. But as a head coach, this is his first Super Bowl. So that has to be gratifying. 14 years with the Birds, seven years with the Chiefs. And in Philly, you know what I mean? The reason why my heart goes out to him because – he had the highest of highs here. Like, he did go to the Super Bowl. He won a lot of NFC t- uh, championship games. I mean, I mean, he lost a lot of NFC championships, but he got there. And, you know, he, he he won a lot of games. Like, he's won over 61% of his games. He's two, He won 227, I mean, 207 regular season games. He's won 15 playoff games. He's 222. He was coach of the year in 2002 by the AAP. He was the Sporting News coach, coach of the year in 2000, 2002, and 2018. He was the Pro Football Weekly Coach of the Year in 2002. He was the Maxwell Club Coach of the Year in 2000, 2002, through 2010, and 2018. I mean, Reed 
has almost like he wins guaranteed 10 games every year. He's won 222 games and only have 142 losses. But before the Super Bowl, he was 14 and 14 postseason. He finally has a winning percentage as a playoff coach as well. Reed finally, without question, has punched his ticket in the canton. And in fact, his coaching tree, outside of outside of any coach, his coaching tree is stronger than Bill Belichick's. He his coaches actually win Super Bowls. The guys that he's tutored, like Doug Peterson, they actually win Super Bowls. Name of a Belichick coach that even came close to a Super Bowl besides himself. I'm just saying. Andy Reid, I felt good for Andy because of so much he's been through in Philly. And not on the sense that, you know, as a coach, but he lost a son here to drug addiction. He has, both his sons were involved in a lot of, you know, this illicit activity. You know what I'm saying? And it cost one his life. And he still tried to coach for this team, knowing that his heart was broken. You know what I'm saying? And, and and I think he needed Kansas City for therapy. Like, you know, like you know, he couldn't do nothing more here. Like I felt like the way, like he left gracefully. That's why I feel good about how he he was rewarded in Kansas City. And that city, similar to Philadelphia, was starving for a Super Bowl when they was they haven't won a Super Bowl in fifty years. Generations, generations of heartache and loss. That that organization has felt as much heartache and loss as any organization in all of sport. In all of sport. That Chiefs that Chiefs franchise, man, they have come close so many times in the eighties, in the nineties, in the two thousands, like finally breaking through. You got people like hell froze over for them on Sunday. Like, no one can believe it in Kansas City that they won a fucking Super Bowl. It felt just like Philly. Man, that's why I feel good for Andy, man, because he couldn't do it for us, but he did it for a town who needed it just as bad as us. This is the Bushman Podcast, Gawkboy Radio. We go way, way, way beyond. Some smart people stay in the building. Come the next, I'm going to talk about the Sixers. Yeah, oh, fuck, I'm going to talk about the Sixers. Oh, my God. <laughs> we going to talk Sixers, man. This is the Bushman Podcast, Gawkboy Radio. We go way, 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 way beyond what this is. Fly sports talk, not dry sports talk. You heard? Excuse me if I'm so damn much. I gotta shine. I gotta shine. You know you the ball when they blowing up your line. Up your line, in a room full of bad bitches, bet you wouldn't mind, you wouldn't mind, she picking and she choosing and I ain't hard to find, hard to find, yeah, she picking and she choosing and I ain't hard to find, hard to find, yeah, she picking and she choosing and I ain't hard to find, hard to find, yeah, in a room full of bad bitches, bet you wouldn't mind, you wouldn't mind. And then she choosing and I ain't hard to find, hard to find.
some shit. They don't compare to me. Better off airing me. I'ma go until they bury me. I know they aware of me. Musical therapy. Kill shit for free, but it's charity. Keep bitches rarely. You don't hear marry me. Fuck the shit. These bitches share me. No one take care of me. You spot barely. Your money fitting like parodies. Them niggas don't got no hustle, bro. I got a gun. I don't care if you work on your muscles. I know more money bring trouble, but y'all ain't no killers. And trust me, bro. I know a couple. Man, if I ever said fuck you, the nigga is fuck you. Won't have to pay niggas to touch you. Bro, we are way past the struggle. I sold so much weight. If I drop it on you, it'll crush you. Bitch, I run it. 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 Shit, yeah. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want it. I've been on some shit. Yeah, bitch, I run it. Bitch, I run it. Bitch, I run it. Bitch, I run it. Shit, yeah. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want it. Some shit. I feel like royalty, but never had parents that spoiled me. Still play with toys that's the boy in me. You can get stitched like embroidery. We're not alike. You pay too much, you ain't shopping right. Nigga, the trap doesn't stop at night. I don't got a gun, get the pocket knife. Niggas need me, then I'm spinning. I'll be there like I'm the Jackson's. Ain't a beat and I ain't rapping. They don't really want no action. Blade is spinning like a fracture. I don't see these niggas lasting. Money genie off a Latin. Fuck them bitches, y'all can have them. He ain't like me, hold on gas him. Have them jumping on the wagon. Everything I'm on, I'm snapping. They already know it though. They know the flow. I'm better than so-and-so, ball like I'm going pro, the slow is low, and good so you know it go, man we got dough to blow, the coke it glow, now front you know it's no, I let it go for bro, you know we blow, the one to go toe to toe, bitch I run it, bitch I run it, bitch I run it, bitch I run this shit, yeah, they don't want it, they don't want it, they don't want it, I been on some shit, yeah, bitch I run it, bitch I run it, bitch I run it, I run this shit, yeah. They don't want it. They don't want it. They don't want it. I've been on some shit, yeah.
back. This is the Blitzman Podcast, Godcore Radio. We go way, way, way back with some spot people standing about it. All right. So, I don't want to jump off the Super Bowl just quite yet. There's one couple of elements I want to kind of dig into real quick. But Patrick Mahomes' success and Andy Reid's success is not in vain on the strength of they have someone right in the middle of them who isn't getting the type of respect that one would believe. So, offensive coach, offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is possibly, you know, arguably the best offensive coordinator in the NFL. And, and this is a league that that always focuses on offense. Like, they want someone that can develop quarterbacks. They want somebody that can develop off offensive schemes. Like, you have the best quarterback in the league. You have the best offensive scheme in the league. And you have this man is right in the middle. His hands is all over it. He's the offensive coordinator. And it's all about people complaining about, you know, well, the enemy doesn't call plays. Like, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, because everybody said, like, Doug Peterson didn't call plays. and things. Like, Andy Reid said, I'm pretty sure that Bienemy is involved in in the play calling. And if he isn't calling the plays, he's damn sure developing the scheme. And so, it makes me wonder why. So, people say, well, maybe Bienemy. Maybe Bienemy isn't. He doesn't speak well enough, or he, or he looks like he he may not interview well enough. So I've never really heard every beginning me talk much, like a little bit here and there, but not enough to really pay attention to what he had to say when he was saying it. But just recently, after the Super Bowl, Eric Sam Weiss, Steve, I'm sorry, Steve Weiss. Actually, the same Steve Weiss who actually started the, the Kaepernick controversy, he was the one who actually asked Kaepernick, why were you kneeling? To be honest with you. That's that that's the what what Weiss is a good good dude. He wanted to bring attention to it because of what it meant. So Weiss knows that the enemy has been overlooked as a head coach. And he asked him a, a very important question. But just besides the question. Just focus on the enemy, and imagine how this man must sound must sound during an interview. In search of this ring, what is him to ask you? Andy Reid has been your guy for a long time. You know he's been in search of this ring. What does him winning this championship mean to you and everybody who helped him along for this ride? You know he would never say this, but I know it means a lot to him. You know this is something that we all pursue. This is our dream of, of winning this. He's been in this business for a very long time. He's had opportunities, but never really fe- finished the goal. This was special. This was a great moment in history and time for us, but also a very special moment in time for him. You know, Donovan came back and talked about uh, how important Coach Reed was to him. Brett Favre, the same thing. So when you got all these people that have been around him and know how special of a man that he is, you always want to make sure that you can accomplish a goal for him when it's all said and done with. Eric, we got to go to the second half. Third quarter comes around. Pat Mahomes has a couple picks. He really looks uneasy because the big bodies were getting pressure on him. And then he regroups at crunch time. What exactly happened? It's just like what happened all season long. Our guys have learned 
to find ways to do it the right way when things aren't perfect. He had to overcome an adverse situation. They were getting to us. You know what? He turned the ball over. No problem. The only thing that matters is the next play. He showed a tremendous amount of poise. Our guys rallied around him, and we found a way to finish. That's what it's all about. It's not how you start. You're going to have some hiccups along the road. But when you have that opportunity to finish, you got to find a way to finish. Our guys did a great job of that today. Last question, Damon Williams. You guys got him going early, and he turned out to be that guy to consistently get it done and finish for you. What about the game you he played? I thought he played his tail off. I thought he ran hard. He did a hell of a job in protection, chipped the edge, caught a play or two out on the perimeter. But what a great story about a kid that was drafted here, right. you know, and we ended up taking him. And he is, he's overcome a few obstacles. But I will say this. I am so happy and proud of the man that he has become because accountability means something to him. He's a part of our family. He found a way to do it the right way when it's all said and done with today. And it showed. All that hard work and perseverance showed today. So can you imagine that man being in a room with an owner fucking up the interview? Like, he just gave so many different perspectives in two minutes. In two minutes... He talked about the career of Andy Reid, the development of Patrick Mahomes, and and how much Damon Williams meant to him and how he matured as a man and how he was impacted that man's life. He did that in two minutes. Two fucking minutes. And he can't get no job? He can't get a job? That's right, he can't get no job. That's right, I'm, I'm messing up the English language today because I have to. Because you would think that's how he's going up in there talking. Nah, he's not talking like that. This is how this man is going into the interview. This man is going to the interview just like that and not getting work. That's the glass ceiling right there. So then, you have all this social injustice or the social initiative and blah, blah, blah. And, and all this crap, and, and, and you know, Jay-Z sitting down for the national anthem. He doesn't even stand for the joint. So I so he said he wasn't protesting the national anthem, which he could have he, he said. He said he was working. Come on, man. Come, come on, Jay. Come on. I mean, you, I mean really, I'm really, I've been very critical of Jay-Z recently. And this is what I'm like, you know, it's my man right here. And just some of the commercials that were assigned to this game regarding social injustice, while some of it and most of it is very accurate, it's it's it's, it's insensitive in the sense that you still haven't you still haven't fought for Kaepernick, and you want us to you want us to kind of like sympathize or empathize with aggressive policemen, with aggressive law enforcement. That's not right. That's not what this is about. We are trying to counter those activities. We're trying to counter that aggression. That's what this initiative is all about. That's what the awareness is all about. And how are you going to have a social awareness initiative? And not even, you know, even if you had disagreements with Cap, you know what? Like, Why can't you at least reach out to people outside of Cap 
but 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 have the same motive as, as him and work something out. Like, it just seems like everything is so disjointed when we're all trying to move towards a certain. But here's the thing: I understand somebody's objective is we can all go in a different way to reach the same goal. And the, and and my point is that true indeed. So if, if, if Jay-Z's going right and Cap's going left and we're all going to meet at the end and meet at the top, I get it. But it seems like if forces were joined together and we were going in a straight line, then we'd get there quicker. We would just work together. You know what I'm saying? All right. Let's switch moods. Because I'm based in Philadelphia. And um, I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. The Sixers, and I—I I, I mean, going into the season, let's let's take this to the beginning. Going into the season, Joel Embiid promised that he was going to be in shape. Joel Embiid promised the team that that he was going to be in tip-top shape. Ben Simmons. While he didn't make a promise, he gave the impression that he was going to be a shooter this year. That he would not be a shooter, but just a willing participant in taking shots just to make the game easier or more efficient for everybody. Brett Brown, our head coach, said that we were going to play aggressive defense in bully ball, which means we were going to constantly attack the basket, force double teams, and give our shooters open shots, playing inside out, or just attacking the glass and being the most physical team in basketball because with the addition of Al Horford. Elton Brand, instead of bringing in another guard to help Ben Simmons and to realize that Ben Simmons is still seven foot, so some of the things that Al Horford can do defensively, Simmons can also do. Instead of giving Simmons some or some additional wing play, like signing Jimmy Butler and giving him a five-year deal, we decided to sign to sign um, Al Horford, which at the time I thought was okay. It wasn't my choice. If I had my choice, it would go Jimmy first. And, you know, then I would have went after a guy like Malcolm Brogdon, who is the, who was the, you know, the, the two guard for the Bucks. Because I thought that the Sixers needed more dynamic guard play. I thought, I always thought that we needed more ball handlers, outside shooters, creators. Not just depending on Simmons and not saying that he's not a good creator. He is. Not saying that he can't handle the ball. He can. But the fact that he can't do traditional basketball, um, I, he just can't run traditional basketball plays because of his, because his, his, because he is not willing to take a shot. So now you have to put the ball in other hands because you have a guy like Joel Embiid who should be a good pick and roll player, but he isn't because they haven't. Never, they never really taught Embiid how to catch a basketball. How, how to post up and be big and keep the ball high. I mean, just the lack of development on this 
on this Sixers team is very frustrating. And I'm disappointed, man. Going into this season, we all thought this was a championship team. Everybody. It's not just me. It's not just the national media. It's not just Sixers fans. Everybody. Like, people who follow basketball honestly thought the Sixers were going to be a solid team this year. A contender. In fact, most people picked us to go, go to the finals. Many picked us to win it. We're currently sitting at number six. Do you know right now the Sixers have the worst road winning percentage of any team that has won 90% of their home games? Okay, let me break that down for a second. So the Sixers are currently, I believe, at 20 at home. We're 22 and 2 at home. We're 22 and 2 at home. So we are so we're over 90% winning percentage at home. But we're only, but we're nine and eighteen on the road. That's thirty-three percent. We only win one out of three on the road. That that, that should not happen. The, I mean, the Sixers are currently sitting at the sixth seed. If, 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 as I said before, if someone would have told us at, at, at the beginning of the process, seven years later, we'll be sitting at, at the sixth seed, no one would think that the process worked. No one would say it worked. I have never. I, this is the the season is the season isn't over yet. However, up to this point, I'm gonna bring back a memory, way way back to when I was nine years old. In 1983, I was eight years old. I was trying to hooky school to go to the parade. Me and my boys was trying to, we was asking our parents for bus money, but we didn't really know how to get downtown because we was eight years old. We was eight trying to figure a way to get downtown because that's how big the championship was. Doc won a championship. Like you understand, like Doc was a legend. He was a he was a he was he was a walking statue. Moses. Like and it was the Sixers what made that championship so great is that it reached me at the age of eight to the point where I wanted to be there. I became a Sixers I, I became a diehard fan at that point in time. So you win it in eighty three in 84 you think you're going to win it again and guess what we didn't and this season at the age of 9 reminds me of how I felt in 84 when that Sixers team was clowning around not taking shit serious still drinking champagne not being focused yes that Sixers had that team had Doc that team had Tone Tony that team had Jones we had Cunningham. We all said it. It's not going to matter. Just wait to the playoffs. I'm nine years old. I don't know no better. I read the papers every day. And I'm thinking, well, my dad told me, and everybody's saying in the papers, Phil Jasner is saying that, you know, I'm learning how to, how to read. I'm reading well, okay. At nine years old, I'm saying, like, we're going to be okay. When the Sixers get to the playoffs, we're going to be, we're going to be right there. So I'm thinking, everything's going to be all right. First round, back in the day, first round was best of five, not best of seven. So this disappointing Sixers team did not dis- 
continue to disappoint. They lost their first two games at home. They lost their first two games at home. I think it was a 5-4 seed. I think six was the fourth seed, and the, and the next was a, uh, um, a fifth seed. We lose our first two. Then we, we go on the road and win our next two, only to come home to lose game five. That's a champ. That was the year after we won the chip. I was heartbroken. That's the harsh reality of sports. And that's how disappointed I am right now. That's what this season feels like. It feels like we're going to get knocked the fuck out in the first round by Boston. Or, or by Toronto. Or by Miami. That's what it feels like. It's, it feels like it's inevitable. And we got we to gotta sit back and just watch this, this, this train wreck. I mean, I'm I, like, you know, like Elton Brand, like this, I'm saying like Elton Brand, instead of trying to make the, trying to make the Jimmy Butler thing work and give him the five-year deal, you know, you get, you get Jay Rich and Horford. You get another center, man. We need more guards. You get rid of the best guard in the league. You get rid of the best, possibly two guard in the league for the third or fourth best center. Jimmy Butler's an all-star. He's a damn, he's an MVP candidate. Just look at the heat. Watch him play. He had 37, he had 36 on us in three quarters. He was about to get 50. They didn't even play him in the third corner, quarter. I remember when Jimmy went to Miami, everybody said, Jimmy don't want to win. Jimmy must want to play for a loser. He must don't want to play for a team that really got a chance to win, win a championship. Who's saying that shit right now? They rolling because of Jimmy. Jimmy told us last year before he left or after he left, like, I like, I like, I like this, I like this squad, I like this city, I love it here. But there's some problems here, and y'all not willing to take care of them. He hinted at that. The first problem is y'all not willing to give me the five Javier Max. <laughs> That's problem number like number one. Y'all gonna give it to 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 Tobias, you know, before me. Like I should be the first dude who get the bread. Like should be not the diss Tobias. I like Tobias. I think Tobias should get close, you know, close to the max. But I should be number one priority. I should be the one where there is no question who gets the max. It's me. It's me. I get the max. I'm in tip-top physical condition. I don't take days off. Just look at me. We always talk about what Jimmy going to start getting old. When has he stopped looking old? All right. I mean, these are decisions that the organization made. So let's get to what's going on on the actual court right now. And... Here's the deal. I know Simmons is putting up better numbers recently, and he's been more aggressive. But the problem is, is that everybody on the on the team has to sacrifice their game for Ben Simmons. Everybody, because he does not play like a traditional point guard. 
I mean, people talk about, like, think about it. Jimmy Butler actually became a better player in Miami. Um, like Larry, like every time another, like when, when players leave here, they get better. I mean, they get better. They become better players. Like Tobias Harris was a better player under Doc Rivers. He was a better player. That's why we traded for him. You know, I mean, I mean, JJ is JJ. I mean, I can't say that JJ's got better because he's getting old. He's 30, 35. But for the most part, when guys leave here, even Markel Fultz, I, like Fultz is a bum. Let me understand that. But he's he's playing better in Orlando than he's playing here. You know what I'm saying? Like, like even like Okafor, he's not great, but he's better where he's at than he is here. So, I'm just saying, like, the Sixers need to make some changes quickly. And I'm not saying the trade in B or Simmons. What I'm saying is they have to get a different voice into the room. And the one the one constant besides Josh Harris, the owner, who is that's a whole nother segment that I'm not doing today. But they have to get a different voice in the room. And that's one of the things that Jimmy said. Jimmy said that listen, Brett's a good dude. I'm not taking this verbatim and I'm just I'm just pointing this idea. Like I can't you know what? This is a hypothetical. But just reading between the lines, it's like Brett's a good a good dude, but he can't coach this squad. He might be able to coach the Spurs. He might be able to coach guys like Duncan and Parker. But y'all need a different kind of coach for Embiid and Simmons. And if y'all want me to be a part of this, y'all got to find that guy because I'm not going to be babysitting these motherfuckers every day. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to be babysitting these these dudes every day. I ain't gonna have to. I don't want to have to call Joel and tell him to be at the gym. I ain't gonna have to beg Ben Simmons to shoot. I shouldn't have to. You know what I mean? I should have to tell my coach to tell these guys to get in line. I should have to stick up for my coach every damn week and say I got your back. I should have to do that. And that's what's going on right now. I got a couple solutions for the Sixers. The first move I would make. All right, so the Sixers, everybody said we need shooters. I, I think it's going to be tough for us to get a shooter. Let's just be real. I think it's going to be tough for us to get, get a shooter. But I think there are teams who are going to have fire sales. I think there, there are going to be teams who are going to have fire sales. I think a team that's going to have a fire sale real soon is the Detroit Pistons. And I would go after Derrick Rose. And I know, and I and I and I and I know some people say, "Well, Rose can't shoot," but what Rose can do is Rose can create, Rose can penetrate, Rose can draw attention away, and get open shots for guys like Tobias Harris, for guys like Mike Scott, for guys like Jay Richardson. He'll make the game a little bit easier for Joel Embiid because he can run a pick and roll. He will pull up for three. He will shoot the fifteen footer at the elbow so there are some elements and he can make Ben Simmons a more traditional four even though Ben can't really even though Ben isn't a four he's just a still an offensive weapon that 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 you can lean on Rose now 
if I had my if I had my blessings, if I had the perfect scenario, I would trade Al Horford for Chris Paul for CP3. If I had my blessings, but I, don't, I think that's too radical. I don't think this. I don't think Brand is going to go that deep. That would be the ultimate move. Because the reason why you need a CP3 here is because you need an adult in the room. You need somebody who's going to straighten these these, these kids out. Real talk. You need someone that can straighten these guys out and make them be, be committed to basketball. But I don't think Oklahoma City is going to make that move. So that's kind of like if everything was perfect, I would make that move. So we would get Derrick Rose. I think you can get Rose if you give up um, a, a first a, a first round pick, protect it. Um, uh, you may have to throw in Zaire Smith, who, you know, I heard he doesn't have a ton of value, which is really disappointing because the Sixers had the 10th overall pick in that draft. And there were a couple good players like Shy Gildress, Stutterman, Shy Gildress Alexander from OKC. That's the guy I wanted to get. He went the next spot. And we take Zaire Smith. And Zaire Smith can't even get on the court. Well, we didn't technically take. We actually took the kid from Villanova, uh, 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 Bridges. We actually took the kid, Bridges, traded him for Zaire. But I would rather just kept Bridges. Because we got a, we got an unprotected Miami pick. That, that, that's really not worth shit now because Miami's good. And we wound up trading the pick anyway to the Clippers to get. I, I guess it would have helped, but I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. Imagine if you just had Shy and Jimmy on your squad and don't have Tobias on this team. It's a different squad. But I would trade for Derrick Rose. I think there's a trade there for Derrick Rose. And real talk, I would give up. We have two very high second round picks. I know. I know um, Memphis wants something for Andre, like Iguodala, but I would bring Icky back to Philly. I will, I will really bring him back because the one thing Iguodala knows how to do is he knows how to win. I mean, I, I don't think he's some all-star, superstar player, but I think he's a winner. I think he just understands he, he he's the ultimate glue guy. So if you bring in a guy like Derrick Rose and you bring in a glue guy like it, like it, like Iguodala, I think those two pieces with a brand new coach and the coach that I would get right now is is two guys I'm looking at Jason Kidd I'm I'm plucking him straight from LA or Tyron Lue and I'm giving him a three year deal and I'm saying listen man fix do the best you can with this thing right now do the best you can with it. I think Tyron Lue can really coach. I know he doesn't have 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 LeBron, but he has a LeBron type player. You know what I'm saying? And Simmons, and maybe he can give him the shoot, and maybe say, "Dog, if you don't shoot, I'm gonna sit you down." I mean, enough of the games with these guys, man. There's too much clowning around with the Sixers. It's embarrassing what's going on. I'm going to tell you, AO2, I'm about to break down. I'm about to go to some more audio. This is what it sounds like between the coach and, and Embiid. Here's, here's the difference between the, two, between the two guys. 
Hello? I'm trying to I'm trying to put uh, Joel and Bede on. I think I pulled the, the plug out. Oh, oh, okay. Play it now? Okay. Listening to Brett. Yeah, uh, obviously that needs to be. So, so are y'all still listening to Brett? Yeah, uh, obviously that needs to be, you know, we haven't been winning. Um, our offense has not been good. But I always say, uh, you know, coaches, I know how they do make shots for us, they don't make plays, uh, you know, they, could, they can do a better job, you know, of, uh, you know, setting everything up, um, but at the end of the day, we make the plays, uh, and like I said, from time to time, you know, you don't know what you're getting, I don't know if I'm going into the game and if I'm getting the ball or not, but that should never affect anything, uh, like I said, it starts on defense, and we still got to do our job, and even if it's, you know, not getting the ball some nights. And, you know, you still got to go hard. You still got to go out and play hard. So that's Joel Embiid. Let's listen to Brett Brown. So let's break down Brett Brown. Let's see, let's, see, let's see what Brett is talking about. Last one, guys, hit the guys. The team, especially the principal players, are still listening to you and doing I do. what you ask. Because you see, we see the body language, we see the effort. Yeah. And that goes to that communication and that relationship. Yeah, no, and I understand that. And, and you'd be better off asking them. Like, when you speak to them, speak freely. And, and I understand the question. It's just I walk in and... You know, I, I know I'm not naive enough to not understand why you've asked what you've asked, but I've answered it the way I've answered it, and um, I look forward to coaching them. When it gets to an epidemic stage, this thing you're talking about, I'll, I'll admit that. I, I don't at all right now. Okay, so you just heard from Joel B. You just heard from Brett Brown, and you basically heard from a coach that just sounds like it's over. He, that that was a very weak statement by a coach. He's, he basically said, yo, I don't know. Just ask, ask them if, they, if they're tuning me out or not. And Joe LMB is like, well, you know, you're not really tuning them out because, you know, you can do a better job setting up plays, but, you know, really I, I make the plays. You know, we got to do a better job of making shots and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I guess he's right. You know, you know Brett is supposed to – I guess say, hey, I'm doing everything I can do. So, and when you get to that point where the coach sort of feels helpless, like he doesn't know how else to reach his best players, then it's time to make a change. And that's not really, a, and it's a knock on Brett on the strength that, you know, he lost the communication or just the authority, in, like in that locker room. But, you know, the players also have have to be held accountable and they and if they cared about Brett if they really felt if they cared about Brett they'll play better if they really thought that you know that they're letting their coach down they would say listen man, we got no guy we got we letting Brett down right now like he's doing everything he can do for us but they're not saying that the team isn't saying that the team is not necessarily pointing fingers but but the team just knows that things aren't right don't feel right Guys aren't have have guys aren't ha- having fun anymore, and it's frustrating. 
I mean, you lose to the Hawks, then get embarrassed on national TV to the Celtics, then get embarrassed on national TV again to the Heat, and every game is progressively worse? It's just not good. And you got Milwaukee coming up tomorrow. And they're coming up for blood. I mean, the last time we, we played Milwaukee, we embarrassed Milwaukee in on, on Christmas Day, national TV. They want revenge. They are looking to to rip the Sixers' hearts out tomorrow. I, I mean, tomorrow's going to be an interesting game to see how this team responds. I, I just can't imagine Elton Brand going to All-Star break if the Sixers are sliding the way I mean you know we have in the next four games you have Milwaukee you have Memphis which is no cakewalk anymore Chicago then the Clippers the Clippers I mean that's a tough that's a tough stretch you got two of the top three teams in the league Clippers and Bucks in in, in, in two of your next four I get, get that I, I gotta get that act together but listen the trade deadline is coming up Thursday. If I'm the Sixers, two moves I would make. I would get two adults if I can. If I can't find a shooter, which I don't believe they're going to get, Bagnanovich from uh, the Kings would be just perfect. But I don't think that's going to happen. Plus, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I don't know if he has the right type of personality to be with this team right now. I think the Sixers need strong personalities. Leaders like guys that guys that have who've actually been in, like in the trenches and, and can pull these young these young kids and show them how to win, what it's going to take. Now, I know people say, "Well, what's Rose done?" Well, Rose has been an MVP player. He's been a star player, and he's still a very good player. And he loves to win. And Iggy is a um, a Finals MVP, former Sixer. Like and he has a strong personality. He's not going to let these young boys push him around. He's going to be an adult in the room. You do that, and you add a decent coach like Jason Kidd, Tyron Lue, or give you Doka a chance. He was a top prospect coming from 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 the Spurs, and now he's supposed to be our quote unquote defensive coordinator, which our defense looks terrible because they're not playing for him either. So I would get a brand new voice in here, like like I said, a guy like Tyron Lue. Just give him a three-year deal. Even if it doesn't work out next year, just eat the other year. But give him a three-year deal and see if he can fix this trash. This is the Bliss Man Podcast, Gawkwood Radio. We go way, way, way. Oh, man, we go way, way, way. Be on the whistle. People stay in the building. Yo, too, we shutting down, man. I told you. We shutting down early today. You know what I mean? Just going to take it easy. Uh, when I come back next week, we will do some NBA trades, man. And I'm going to break down the All-Star game. All-Star snubs. I want to talk about things I'm going to do next next week. And I'm going to talk about the XFL a bit. I'm going to break that down. I'm going to do some, you know, some history on that joint. Oh! I do want to break this down real, real quick. It's going to take about five minutes. Go less. So, people don't understand, people don't understand, like, this political thing with Bernie Sanders and healthcare and, and single-payer and Elizabeth Warren and blah 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 so basically people act like you know you're gonna lose your health care and blah 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 most people got shitty health care yo even people who have jobs their health care is shitty like if something really happens to you your health care is shitty you have a heart attack that shit your bill comes like $20,000 yo 
Your healthcare is shitty. If you, I mean, it's cool if you got a broken leg or some shit like that. Like that's cool. Like no, that's not nothing. But if you have something really serious and you need to spend some real time somewhere, your healthcare is gonna break your back. So people act like, well, I like to, I don't want to get rid of my healthcare. Basically, that's only like ten percent of the people in, in this country that really love their healthcare. Over the one hundred and twenty million people who have healthcare. Only about 10% of those people really, really like it or really have good health coverage if something bad happens. So those other 110 million people, healthcare is just okay. The single payer would mean that basically our tax dollars are going to fund a healthcare system for everybody, which means everybody will have some semblance of healthcare in this country as long as you pay taxes okay so so why is this, so why is this all important because now insurance companies well you can get more insurance but they can't screw you anymore they got to actually offer you like real services like like uh for example um far, like farm like pharmaceutical comp- companies now it's easier to bring the cost down for these things because they no more are negotiating costs for 120 million people. They are now negotiating costs for 300 million people. So your cost has to come down. In this way, when the cost is coming down, they don't have have to manipulate the prices anymore because now you are, you are working or actually serving the U.S. government. You are serving, you're actually serving the people. So, another point that no one talks about is everyone says, well, it costs like $1.3 trillion and blah, 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 blah for, uh, for a single payer. We're paying $1.2 trillion now. And, and, and yet only, only 120 million people are insured for $1.2 trillion and for $1.4 or $5 trillion, you know what I'm saying? You, you can insure the entire country. And everybody talks like, oh, it's overspending, Bob. Yo, because you're, you're spending a trillion dollars on Space Force, man. Space Force. People starving. You're spending on Space Force. A trillion dollars? I just want you to understand, like, when people tell you about a single payer, your, your health insurance is not as good as you think. If you really dig into it and study it, it's not as good as you think. It's much simpler for, for, for your tax dollars where you can pay, where you get a, a yearly um, tax, I mean, uh, a medical card. And if you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor and they fix you up. Physicians, physicians, uh, 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 hospitals, they all are for it because one, they know they're going to get paid. They know they're getting paid now. So they're all for it. And they know they're going to treat more people. If they treat more people, they're going to make more money. They can send out more bills. But that's a good thing. Because if you if, if people are living longer, then they're spending more money. That's also good for the economy. You want people to be able to, to live and be healthy. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Because you have the GOP actually trying to take away your health care. They don't want to do anything. If you don't have money to to be well, they want you to die. 
They want your grandmom to die. They want your dad to die. They want your daughter to die. They want your baby to die. That's what they're saying. They're saying if you don't have any money, your kids should die. What are you paying taxes for? Infrastructure? Where? Come on, man. Single payer is the only... It's the on, we're the only country in the world. We're, we're, we're basically the only country in the world who don't have universal health co- coverage for all of their citizens. Think about that. The richest country in the world. This is why the country is so rich because they don't take care of the people. This is Bushman Podcast. Gawker Radio. We go way, way, way beyond whistle spot. People, people stay in the building. Yeah, I'm stuck. I don't care. I'm out. All right, yo, two, we did it again. Yo, Fox, executive producer, all day. AJ's coming back. This is the Bushman Podcast, Gawkworth Radio. We go way, 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 way beyond whistle. This is Fox Sports Talk, not Drops Sports Talk. You heard? See you next week. Yo, listen up for my children. Yo, get stars in the building. Yo, random men up in the building. Let's get them.